All right, you guys, I am currently struggling with a pinched nerve in my neck. And if you have ever had one, you know the pain. So I am feeling super thankful for today's sponsor, Tanasi. Tanasi's CBD, CBDA is two times better than CBD alone and better than over-the-counter ibuprofen, acetaminophen, and aspirin. It helps soothe and relieve my aches and pains like my pinched nerve, and it's great for sleep and anxiety, so I put it on right before bed. Tanasi was discovered by a team of chemists and biologists at Middle Tennessee State University, and 5% of all revenue is given back to the university partner for ongoing research. It is THC-free and comes in a range of products. I love the topicals, but you can also choose from soft gels, gummies, and tinctures. Satisfaction is guaranteed. Try Tanasi for 30 days, and if you don't love it, you get a full refund. Go to Tanasi.com and use code MOM to get 25% off at checkout. That's T-A-N-A-S-I.com to get 25% off your first order with promo code MOM. Since learning the truth about alcohol over four years ago, I've become pretty skeptical about anything that seems too good to be true. You know, like alcohol. If you're like me and you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from a mile away, congrats, you're a skeptic too. Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds our standards. I take Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus every morning because it has high-quality and traceable key ingredients in clean, bioavailable forms. It's gentle on an empty stomach and has a minty essence in every bottle that helps make taking my multis actually enjoyable. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month at ritual.com forward slash sober mom. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash sober mom for 25% off. Hi, welcome to the Sober Mom Life podcast. I'm your host, Suzanne of My Kind of Sweet and the Sober Mom Life on Instagram. If you are a mama who has questioned your relationship with alcohol at times, if you're wondering if maybe it's making motherhood harder, this is for you. I will be having candid, honest, funny conversations with other moms who have also thought, hmm, maybe motherhood is better without alcohol. Is it possible? We'll chat and we'll talk about all things sobriety and how we've found freedom in sobriety I don't consider myself an alcoholic. You don't have to either. And maybe life is brighter without alcohol. I hope you will join us on this journey and I'm so excited to get started. Hello, happy Friday. Welcome to our special episode of the Real Sober Mom Chats. It's like the Real Housewives, but without the booze and the bad drama and the fillers. How's that? I have heard so much feedback about the sober moms. You guys love the stories from real moms who are in it, who are figuring out, who are maybe sober curious. They're talking about their journeys, and that's what this is. We are bringing you moms from the Sober Mom Life Cafe. All of these moms connect over there. If you want to come and join us, it's $15 a month, and you get, first of all, you get to sign up to share your story on the Real Sober Mom Chat. That link to join the cafe is in the show notes. You also get weekly Zoom meetings. You get 
Discord chat where you can chat with moms just like you all day long. Book club, you get bonus podcast episodes. It's just a huge party over there. Come and join us. And I know you will enjoy this episode of the Real Sober Mom Chats. Maria, welcome to the Sober Mom Life. So excited and nervous and I have butterflies like it's my first date. Oh my God. (laughs) And it's not our first date because I've known you. When did you start coming? It's been a year and I remember very clearly because I tried to do the sober dry January and I I failed and I was like heartbroken. Although you did not fail. Hysterically. Right. Yeah. Now we know that. Yes. Now we know that. But it felt like failure. Well, and we'll get into it too. I just, I've been so excited for this conversation with you because, I mean, you are why I created this group. Because when you first started coming to like the meetings and join the cafe and everything like that you were still drinking. Like you weren't yet being like, yes, okay, I see the light, you know? You were kind of like stomping your feet and being like, okay, I'm examining, but I don't want to, but now I do want to. And like so much back and forth and so much questioning. And that's exactly why I created it because historically there's not been a place for women like that to go, right? It's been a kind of black and white, either you're drinking or you're sober and that's it. And like, we need to be able to talk when you're in that space of just trying to figure it out. Totally. And I remember so clearly when my friend sent me your podcast, because she knew that I was sort of struggling and sober curious. I remember listening to it in the shower, the first episode and just feeling so emotional because I had wine earlier and I was like, so over the cycle and your story resonated and that champagne and the hangover and all of that. But it took me six months and many years before to really commit. I want to get it. I want to get into it. Okay, let's start. Let's start by talking about alcohol, the sneaky little bitch. The sneaky little bitch, indeed. And I, you know, my story is interesting, I think, because it shows how progressive alcohol addiction or um, reliance can be. And it didn't start that way for me. So I drank a little bit in high school, smoked weed, nothing life-changing. Now that I've done a lot of like work with therapy and looking back, my childhood did have quite a bit of trauma. And not in the, I always thought trauma was like the death of a parent or something like that. But, you know, being, we were immigrants from Russia. My parents were divorced already in Russia. So I was always in the middle when we were in America. My yeah. mom was very strict. When did you come over here? When I was sick. <gasps> okay, wow. And so you didn't speak the language or anything? No, no. And I remember I had so many memories of like just being so scared in kindergarten and like not being able to speak. And that's so scary. Yeah. But it, and I think even more than that, it was always like our family was so different. It was only my mom and I, I didn't have siblings. We didn't have this like huge American family that I so desperately wanted. And from a very young age, I used food to cope. I remember like my mom and dad going to court and I was alone at seven years old or eight, which, yeah, I mean, I was left alone. Um, I even have memories in Russia being left alone, which really my mom left me to run an errand. And I just remember like waiting for her to be going out and it's raining. And that was under six years old. Like, 
And that's the thing, like once you become a mom that you really do start looking at it through such a different lens of like, holy shit, like I didn't know I was that little. I'm like, I can't imagine leaving my six-year-old. My six-year-old, like I I can't even leave her on the other level of our house. (laughs) You know what I mean? She'd be like, where are you going? No. So like all those micro traumas and then immigrating and yeah, food was always my comfort in high school, especially because I went to a really, I went to high school in Pebble Beach. I mean, it is like the 1% send their kids there. We were multimillionaires. We were like middle, middle class. Like my parents made a great life for themselves. Very admirable what they did, but I think it was really hard on me. And that created a lot of angst and challenges. And my mom was super strict. Like I couldn't go do stuff after school. I had to do extra homework or couldn't have boyfriends, couldn't wear tampons, couldn't wear makeup in middle school. All of those things were hard. And as a kid kind of makes me a little emotional. Like you cope as well as you can. Like it was so lonely and sad. I feel, feel sad for that little girl. Yeah. I mean, it's so understandable. Right. Like you just think that your parents know what they're doing too. When really you can see as an adult what your mom was probably like, she was scared and like controlling what she could control. But as a kid, you don't know that. (sighs) Exactly. Yeah. So um, in college, you know, I drank like everybody else. Although, my God, my friend, my girlfriend and I, I met these three best friends. So it was like the four of us. And we would like have seven shots before we left the house. Wow. Seven. That's a lot. That's insane, like dangerous. But also it's college. Yeah. Yes. And I always bragged like I was a good drinker because I'm Russian and could handle it. And looking back, you know, there were so many bad decisions and blackouts. Nothing horrible happened. I'm really lucky. I don't know why I got so lucky. I um and actually another part of the challenge in college where my eating disorder met alcohol. I was living in my mom's condo like 10 minutes away because she bought a place near my college and she said, you can live here for free. And so instead of renting a place with friends, I lived, she was in and out because she was a nurse. So sometimes she wouldn't be there, but junior and senior year, you should not be living with your mom. It just, again, all these feelings of like not fitting in and why is my life so weird? (laughs) Yeah. So you felt like kind of like on the outside always. Exactly. Yeah. Loneliness and not feeling right. But I think senior year, like junior, senior, junior year, we drank a lot. Senior year, I lost a ton of weight. I kind of like got my eating. No, it wasn't really in control. It was very like disordered, but I was thin and I was like determined to keep it that way. And my mom is small bone. Like the weight that I am now is sort of like what I'm supposed to be, Mm -hmm. but I just couldn't figure it out. Cause when you binge eat, I mean, the dopamine, like that's a drug. It's very similar to alcohol and any other drug. But we didn't drink a lot because I'm like, that's going to make you gain weight. So alcohol was never like that saving grace. And when I ended up moving to the city after I graduated, had my own apartment there for seven and a half years, just drank socially. Like I never, ever went and bought a bottle of wine and opened it in my apartment. Like I never pre-drank. Like that was just not, I was really social only. And I knew that alcohol led to my binges at night and led me to gain weight and it was like a love-hate relationship with drinking. But in your 20s, that's what you do. You're single, you're out there in heels and a dress. 
Oh my God. Yes. Even when it's freezing in Green Bay, Wisconsin. It's so interesting too, how disordered eating and drinking do go hand in hand a lot. Like I think about Amanda E. White and talking about that and Meg Fee's been on here to talk about that too. And like you, you aren't alone. And if you're listening to this and you have, this is sounding familiar, like you're just so not alone. Yeah. All addictions. I mean, they're, I'm so open because I think I'll, I touch on like every addiction, the alcohol, the, the stimulants. So yeah, I didn't discriminate in my journey. I ha- I'm always like go big or nothing at all. So I had to like try. Yes. But it's also like, you can just see that it's a, it's a way to either escape or to numb this feeling of not feeling enough. Right. And feeling yes. other and, and not knowing how to build a life outside. My mom was very strict. So as long as I followed her rules and did what she said. So instead of giving me room to like flourish and grow and take the marketing that I wanted to take in college, it was like, do finance. It's better for you. I wasn't really like raised to be an independent thinker. I think she tried and my dad did too. He was in my life. He just, he lived in a different city and my mom was very difficult. So she kind of pitted me against him. If I'm honest, like I didn't really know the truth about my dad until I met my husband who was like, he just met my mom and he met my dad the same day. He's like, something's not adding up here. Like you have not been told the right stuff. Yeah. And that's hard as an only child too. Like I kind of had some of that, like when parents, I think this was big in the eighties, nineties. Like we know so much more about divorce and how it affects kids now. Right. But like, right. it just wasn't a topic of conversation then. And so like my parents fought through me. Right. And through my brother, but I had my brother, but when it's just you like, yeah, you don't know. And I can imagine that it's like so lonely. Right. Absolutely. And what I've learned somewhat recently or within the last few years is my mom has narcissistic personality traits, not fully. Therefore, you yeah. could never admit when she was wrong. It was always her way. She would like gaslight or manipulate a situation. And that's really confusing totally. the child because I had all this anger inside me of like, no, the sky is blue. I'm telling you. And just never being heard or recognized. That's really hard to feel. That's hard to feel like you're always wrong and like what you think and what you feel is wrong. Like it's almost impossible to feel. Yeah. My twenties were tough. I mean, it was the decade of like healing or trying to. And so from when I moved to San Francisco, I think I was 22 to when I met my husband, 29, seven years. So different therapists, finally things kind of aligned for me when I was 28 or so. I um, was working with a therapist for a couple of years. I met with a dietitian who taught me about food and like how to really lose weight because what was hard for me is I was carrying around this extra weight because of binging. And then I was doing all these like bad diets. Yeah. And I remember actually her telling me, she's like, you can only drink five drinks a week. And I'm like, what? Yeah. Like, even back five? Are you kidding? But um, once I got serious about it, I was like very focused. I remember going on a date and I'm like, we just shared a bottle of wine and I drink all my drinks. Now what? <laughs> yeah. And when you're like drinking, that does not seem like a lot, especially when the drinks are like, they're talking like what, five, six ounces or something like that. You're like, oh, yeah. that's, yeah. Not enough. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then actually I saw a psychiatrist for the first time and was prescribed Wellbutrin, mm-hmm. which is like off label for binge eating. So oh, that, that trifecta. And then um, I was crushing it at work. I loved my job. I ended up on a business trip to Chicago at 29, April, 2013. I was 29 years old. I met my now husband. Oh, you met him in Chicago? 
Yes, we went on a business meeting together. Oh, it's like how cute. a beautiful love story. Yeah. I, I was living with him six months later. So. Oh, love at first sight. <laughs> yes. Well, kind of. It was like progressive. But you know what's interesting? Well, I love the city. I always say I fell in love with the city first. We did the business meeting, then I hosted happy hour, so on and so forth. We were at this like divey bar playing darts. And I remember in my mind thinking, if I lived here, I would be an alcoholic. Wow. Really? I always struggled. Alcohol made you fat. It made you want to binge. Yes. So yours was really like tight. Like the thing that was keeping you from like drinking how you maybe thought you could or sometimes wanted to or something was the caloric part of it because your eating disorder was like winning out over the alcohol at that point. Absolutely. So fast forward to moving to Chicago in 2013. September, I'm at my goal weight. Life is good. I am in love. I have a good job. I start to build friendships and it's like college um, done over for me because we lived in a high rise. Everybody was young. I was free from my mom. And that's when I really learned kind of like, oh, the way we talk to each other is not right. The way she doesn't listen to me is not right. So it was a really developmental time in my life. And I remember in the first year thinking, these girls drink a whole bottle of wine. They are alcoholics. Like I was in shock. Well, fast forward to a couple of years and a bottle of wine was a serving. Yes. Right. I had a therapist there in Chicago too. And she's like, you're not substituting your eating disorder for alcohol, right? This was the early days. I'm like, no, I don't like to drink that much. And then it caught up with me. Because it's addictive, right? Exactly. Yes. Isn't that interesting? And first of all, Chicago is a big drinking city. I don't know if it's something to do with how cold it is and like that, you know, for whatever, seven months out of the year, we're like inside and like it's not an active city like that. And so if you hang around people who drink too, which in Chicago, they're easy to find. Yeah. Then you're going to drink more. I did the same thing. Totally. And I remember clearly, I don't know if this is linked and I got on Zoloft for my anxiety, like shocker, I had anxiety. It's like Calmu. I mean, I just remember once I started taking an SSRI, like the taste of alcohol changed. It was good. But I don't know if it was because I had already like been drinking a lot and Right. That you like acquired it or something. I acquired the taste. Yes. And then you were like, okay, it's on like a bottle of wine now. I can Yeah. 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 Drink alone, would open up the champagne alone. And a lot of the behaviors were, yeah, it was just super unhealthy. We decided to move to Denver in 2016. I had a really hard time. We were no longer in the high rise. Our friends had kids, which was so boring. Kids are so boring. Yeah. It's a different, totally. It's like no more carefree. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the way that I coped, well, weed was legal. Mm, Yeah. Right off the bat, I went to the weed store. I'm buying gummies. My smoking weed went up. So yeah, 2017, I started IVF in 2019, but for those two years, I really struggled. My eating disorder like raged back because I was bored. I was unfulfilled. Yeah, I didn't have places to go. Like our lifestyle was different and I didn't really like Denver in the beginning. It was, I was like, this is a cow town. It's not cute. Nobody dresses up here. Not my vibe. I miss Chicago. Did you have friends there? Yeah, we made friends, but all of them, they had kids I worked remotely, so it was harder. And and honestly, I picked up my old habit of like, I would choose to stay in and drink by myself. So my husband was traveling a lot. He started his own company. 
So I would drink a bottle of wine by myself and I would get high yeah. and then I would binge. And sometimes I would purge. Sometimes I would exercise it off. But I mean, I used all three drugs. So one thing I skipped, actually, we got married in 2017. And so this is how my stimulant use came back in. I was prescribed Vyvanse in Chicago to manage my binge eating. So looking back, obviously, like the eating disorder, there's moments of remission in a way, but with all the drug and alcohol use, it's really hard to be in remission, I think. Yeah. So I took Vyvanse, which is a stimulant used for binge eating and for ADHD to help lose weight for my wedding. And then I started getting it prescribed before I had kids. And so then when I went, I, we had to go through IVF. So after having my first son in 2020, we, it was COVID, it was locked down. We didn't have any family here. Yeah. Pat hated me on it because it just changed my personality and makes you more anxious, more intense. Yeah. Like, I was like, listen, we have no help. We have this newborn. I need the energy. And so I started getting prescriptions for Vyvanse again. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the first six months to a year of my son's life, it was awesome. <laughs> I actually, the transition from zero to one, like no kids to having kids was very fulfilling. I finally had a purpose. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it was so madly in love and I had five months off. So we actually bought an RV. We traveled to California, Chicago, and Florida to visit family. Oh, that's nice. It was like a nonstop party. Yeah. And I was drinking, smoking, and then would take a Vivance the next day to run off my hangover and proceed on with being a mom. It was a secret hack to being able to drink as a mom and not have hangovers. Yes. That's interesting that it kind of helped you continue to just drink, smoke weed, really not deal with the eating disorder because then that was, right? right? Like it was just like a Band-Aid for all of it. my appetite the next morning. Yeah. Like I didn't binge the next morning after drinking a ton. I was able to drink a bottle of wine and smoke weed. And I think, um, you know, after six months to a year, the novelty of having a baby wears off and it's like real life. And I'm still trying to hold on to my old party behavior and addictions really keep you in the age that you begin those addictions. And it was a way not to like figure out what is my passion? What do I want to do with my life? Yeah. Like to do the work, to build a life. And that was overwhelming and hard and I just didn't want to do it. I mean, it is overwhelming and hard, right? Like all of the work that like you go to uncover the why of like, okay, why am I drinking? Why am I smoking weed? And why, what is this doing? And yeah, all of that is hard. And a lot of it was out of boredom and lack of fulfillment. So I, I did IVF with my first and we were going to wait three years and transfer the baby girl. But one night tequila, I remember very vividly, it was a weekend. I got um, pregnant with Bodhi, my second baby. Oh, wow. So just were, naturally. Yeah. Wow. Just naturally. Yeah. And, you know, I was so unprepared. I remember having wine at nap time, which I had started doing. And not every day, not to like brag about this. You never had to carry me home or hold my hair back. And truly you didn't. Yeah. You could like hold your alcohol, quote unquote, right? Like, yeah, but I also had to stop. Like once I got drunk or buzzed, I would stop. I didn't need to keep going. So yeah. I think that's why for me, like it was more cross addictions. Yes. Of course, alcohol was in there because, you know, it's a saboteur of everything and it's so hard not to drink all the time. I'm like, oh my God, I'm pregnant. So I had to stop everything cold turkey. And that was kind of tough. I didn't want to. I wasn't ready. And after Bodhi was born, I 
got right back on the uh, Vivance. I remember trying to drink and having a headache and being like, oh my God, is my drinking career over? What the heck? Like, I'm not ready. Yeah. I feel like there's that period after a baby where you like have to like work your way back into it. For me, that's how it was. Like I was like, ugh, I don't like, like you taste the ethanol instead of the wine, you know? And you're just like, ugh, oh my God. Okay. I have to get over this hump and then I'll get back into it. Yeah. I didn't, you don't miss it really in a way. Yeah. And sweet baby Bodie, who's like born to an infertile mom. And we named him the Sanskrit spelling, which is like the inline one. And I always felt like have these conversations with him of like, I don't want to drink anymore. Like I just felt like his calming presence, like giving me a sign to like, stop this fucking bullshit. Oh, wow. And so he was born June, 2022 and I got sober June, 2023. (gasps) So, you know, before that, I had been sober curious for years. I remember reading Alan Carr's um, The Easy Way to Quit Drinking in 2017. I read it really early on. I was just fascinated with a life of sobriety. I just could not imagine it. I could not. But isn't that so interesting? And this, you go back to like how we started this when you were talking about dry January and then you failed. And I was like, no, it's not. Because all of that, and that is your story right there. Like you've been so honest this whole time. And I always think about you and Audrey and I talk about it. Like, we're like, would this have helped Maria? Like you are kind of our North star of like, cause we've seen this journey. Right. And like the thing that you did was you just kept showing up and telling the truth. Yes. And I say that's it, but that's huge and it's really fucking hard to do, but you did it. And you were like, no, I'm going to come to meetings. I'm still drinking. And I'm going to tell you like, no, I'm still drinking. I don't know about this yet. I kind of hate it. Just making a big deal out of it. <laughs> right. And and like you just kept – and then you would ask questions. You're like, yeah, but you guys just tell me this because I'm trying to work this out. And you're just like – you were very curious and earnest and honest. Yeah. And I think that is what I saw in you. And I was always just blown away. I could not have done that. I didn't do that. I think more often and more common as women, you know, when I was questioning my drinking, my relationship with alcohol, it was in my head. I wasn't saying it out loud. I wasn't Mm -hmm. sharing. I wasn't connecting. I was all in my head and kind of doing a disservice to myself. And I was alone. And like, I went to one luckiest club meeting and I didn't turn on my camera and I wasn't going to say anything, you know? So I was just like, not, but you were like, I don't know. You didn't let fear or intimidation or anything stop you from just figuring it out for yourself. It's just so admirable. Well, thank you. Yeah. Like my superpower is honesty and just showing up as who I am in many ways because I've had so many challenges. I want to help others. And so part of my dissatisfaction with life is I think I'm not like living to my potential and hopefully I can do something with this and help others. And I love friends will message me of like, Oh my gosh, how did you do this? Or how's it going? Oh. And in my gut, I just knew that this is not the right way to live. I, despite everything with my parents and upbringing, I was not raised in a home with alcohol, like Mm. alcohol stimulants, weed, like that's not how I was raised. I just knew it was wrong. And what I was doing was a slippery slope. And so I just yearned to be free of it. And so when I found, I really, I remember found your podcast and 
found the group. And I just remember after that, breaking the dry January, just sobbing to my husband of like, I'm sick of this. Why did I do this again? I'm so mad at myself. Like, and I think for others, what I would say is like, you just have to really want it in the way, or that sounds kind of like, you don't want it bad enough. I think you just have to be so sick of being sick of your shit. Yes. The alcohol to be like, I'm going to take this leap. I'm going to do a hundred days. That's what I said out loud. Even though I'm like, I'm going to do a year, go for it no matter what. And in those first 30 days, you have cravings and you're like, should I just give in? And I remember I actually um, found a sober coach through one of the community members, Christine. Yeah. Telling her, I'm like, my friends asked me to go to this 90s dance party. And she's like, I would not go. It's at a club and you're going to drink. And I'm like, I don't know. I can't like change my whole life. And then I remember going on a walk and just thinking through it. I'm like, well, maybe I start the sobriety after this. And I'm like, see, this is it. The alcohol will get in the way. There's always a reason to drink. So you just have to take the leap. And so I'm, I'm sober over six months of alcohol. Uh, weed is like five months. And stimulants I held on to for six months, but I was finally ready. And um, I'm 22 days sober of stimulants. I don't plan to go back. That's incredible. You know, a lot of it, I was scared. I'm like, how can I handle all this motherhood stuff? And I don't like being tired for some reason that would trigger me. And, you know, it just, it's true sobriety scared me, I guess, because I had never... Yeah. I don't know, maybe felt it or I didn't know what was beneath the the surface there. So I love it. I'm so proud of myself. And the biggest, most beautiful thing to come from the last six months is a lot more self, like self-love, self-respect, this innate feeling of confidence that I cannot be fucked with. I did think when people didn't drink, I'm like, poor them. Now it's like, poor you. Like the life hack is to be sober and to enjoy beautiful, precious times with our kids and if you're not ready yet and no judgment, keep drinking. But for those that are like struggling with the moderation game of like, because people will say, well, you can just have one or two. I'm like, yeah, I'll have two on Friday. And then Saturday I'll be bored or the kids are annoying. And I'll say, fuck it. And I'll drink three. And then Sunday I'm depressed and I'm drinking the whole bottle. And then I want to get weed. And then I need Vivance on Monday morning. And that's me, you know, that's whether it's addictive brain was born with it or I trained it. I don't know, but for me, all or nothing, um, it's better for me to be an abstainer. Yes. Oh my God. I remember one meeting you said you were like, I would find any any reason to drink, you know, is like I'm cold. <laughs> it's cold outside. Exactly. Yes. No, like that's exactly it. If you look for reasons to drink, like you will find them, right? Yes. But then I I love your story too, because like you look for reasons to be sober uh-huh. and like Bodhi and you know what I mean? And like your babies. Yeah. Right. Like that. That's what you keep coming back to. And yourself, the self-respect and the self-love and like that we are worth it. Like you are worth being sober and and like doing the good hard work, you know? Right. Well, I mean, they say parenting and this generation's so different, but truly like for me to give them the best version of myself is I have to work through all that those cobwebs inside. And no, it's it's great. I freaking love it. Like going to bed sober and waking up sober is like spiritual for me almost like clean sheets a book yes oh like there's nothing better and I did my first sober vacation in Mexico yes all inclusive and there were cravings in the beginning and so I had a couple non-alcoholic beers but overall it felt great to not be tired and I came back refreshed as refreshed as you can be with 
two kids under three. I mean, like, yeah. Like, but, I don't know, three and a half year old and two, one and a half year old. I'm like, hold on. Oh my God. And you're like in it too. Like that's a lot. And I think your vacation in Mexico is a perfect example too, because like, you know, we do this is like the future trip, right? And then yeah. you would talk through it. Like that's what you did at the meeting is and be like, you know, it would be what did you go in November or when did you go? We went over Christmas. Before that, I did a girls' trip to Charleston. So right, yeah, for your birthday. Girls. Yep. Like and and you would be talking about this in like March or April, right? Because that's what we do. Like we we future trip and we're like, yeah, but what about this? And then we're we're always saying like, just wait, we're not there yet. You know, like the you that will be in like six months is not the you here right now. Oh, so just wait. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember you saying that about the stimulants, um, like you might not want them in six months. And sure enough, you're like our little Buddha guiding light. I mean, oh my God. <laughs> we're so thankful. No, you're just the real, the real deal of like community. I would not have been able to do it without the community, without discord. I remember early on, like, and it just makes me so emotional because it's so hard to get sober. Mm. Like having this community and being like, hey, okay, just remind me what I know. Cause yes. I've forgotten everything right now. Just yeah. remind me. And you really used to that and like, good for you. And that's, you, you showed up, you told the truth. Yeah. You have to use your tools and the podcast and read the sober lid and just immerse yourself because you won't feel so alone. And it's a leap of faith. I mean, I'm just so grateful for you. I really am. Like our community would not be the same without you. And I'm just, every time I still, every time I see your face pop up, I'm like, okay, good. Maria's here. Like you're just such a light and I'm so grateful and I love you. And I'm just so proud of you. Thank you. I love you and I love you guys. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Sober Mom Life. If you loved it, please rate and review it wherever you listen. Five stars is amazing. Also, follow me on Instagram at The Sober Mom Life. Okay, I'll see you next week. I'm going to go reheat my coffee. Bye. I'm Madeline, and I'm the host of the Happiest Sober Podcast. I got sober in my 20s after a decade of gray area drinking, and the greatest plot twist of all time was realizing that alcohol, the thing that I thought made my life the most happy and fun and exciting, was actually the exact thing preventing me from living my happiest and best life. My mom is 40 years sober, and she joins me on my podcast very often. I like to call her my part-time co-host, and I also bring you solo episodes where I share my top tips, tricks, and mindset shifts in sobriety, and lots of how to's for navigating all the things sober from weddings to parties to holidays to bachelorette parties to trips. I'm also joined by so many guests who come on and share their sober stories and they're all so, so inspiring. I'm here to show you that life doesn't end when you quit drinking. In fact, it's very much the opposite. And no matter what your relationship was with alcohol, life can be the absolute happiest when you're sober. New episodes come out every Tuesday. You can listen to Happiest Sober Podcast wherever you get your podcasts.